In the fall each year we all congregate The pounds all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God, a precious Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia fame Ain't nothing finer in the lane Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Welcome to the Saturday Night Podcast. We're a Georgia Bulldogs show by dogs fans for dogs fans. I'm Herschel Gurley here as always with my co-host Boss Dog and we are joined by a very special guest this evening. The first ever champion in the Saturday in Athens weekly pick'em challenge and the purveyor and founder of 7-6 Apparel with the 10 pounds of gold there. You guys can't see him but he's got the 10 pounds of gold with him. Chase Kelly. Chase, welcome back to the show brother. Hey, thanks for having me. So I want to start off with you boys with a little coin flip question here. So Andy Staples had something on his Twitter today that kind of cracked me up. Somebody was busting shops about Michigan being premier coaching job in America. Not a Big Ten podcast, but I thought this question was funny, so I want to get y'all's opinion. So he said, all right, let's put the question to the people. Penn State, Michigan, and Wisconsin all offer you the head coaching job on the same day. Which job do you take? Chase, which one are you rolling with? Oh man, I would say I'm probably going to have to go with I'm probably going to have to go with Michigan. I feel like you know they're a blue blood. I know Penn State's got their history, and they've they've got a little too much bad history for me to want to go and hang out there. And Wisconsin, I don't know. I just I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to be from any of those states, but uh, <laughs> I, I would have to lean towards Michigan. And it, it comes down to like the uniform. Just, just that that uniform is awesome. I love their uniform, so I'd probably, I'd probably go with uh, the Michigan job if it were up to me. How about you, boss? I'm gonna take Wisconsin for the sole fact that that is an easier road to the Big Ten championship, and that is an easier road to the playoffs. Most, li- most seasons, I won't see Ohio State until the Big Ten championship game, and then most seasons, I only have to beat them once to get into the playoffs. So. I replied to Andy Staples' tweet, and I said, are there any OC jobs open in the SEC? It's too damn cold in all those towns for me to want to go there. <laughs> yeah, that's their actual right answer. But I said if I was forced to pick one, I would take Wisconsin. And one of my main thrusts for taking it is that the Thornton Mellon postgame parties would be epic. And that is a back-to-school reference that if y'all don't get, y'all need to get on that. because. Thornton Mellon throws the greatest parties on the planet, okay? And he could do the triple Lindy off the high dive. So if I could if I could fool with that, I'm good. On the serious side, though, I will say they do get to play for Paul Bunyan's axe. Big-time rivalry trophy guy, and that may be the best one nationwide. I mean, it's a gigantic axe, for God's sake. Fantastic. Yeah, it, it is a good one. That's a, that's a really cool one. So y'all so, both go Wisconsin, so at least we're – we're on the same page where nobody wants to be in uh, Washington yeah. State again. Happy Valley. <laughs> Happy Valley. Yeah, and I don't yeah. want to be there. I don't want to be there. And, you know, uh, maybe I'm a little biased because I, I love Madison. So that'd be awesome. But uh, I don't know. I haven't been to Ann Arbor. So I, I guess I'm, I'm cheating a little bit on that. But I, Chase brings up a good point. Also, Chase, uh, Boss and I's high school football uniforms were almost carbon copies of Michigan. Oh, really? We, yeah, we were, we were yeah. purple, and, purple and gold. 
Well, I mean, technically our uniforms are purple and white, but we had the Michigan helmets. So that was, that's pretty cool. They are sick yeah. helmets. That is. Yeah, that's they're awesome. great helmets. All right. So we're going to do a little bit newer format here just to give some structure because me and boss are so scatterbrained. So we're going to start doing the Saturday and Athens six pack. So we're going to pop some tops on this. So Brewski number one. I mean, let's just let's give the champ the floor to talk about. I mean, we'll just let you cut your your WWE promo here. You got 10 pounds of gold over there to people's belt. I, I told boss I, I, I want about 10 names. For the belt, I want it to be like Khaleesi. Every time we talk about it, I just list off eight names, yeah. and it becomes yeah. its, its own legend before it, yeah. before it proceeds. And you just know that that's the belt. <laughs> that's that's yeah. right. Well, first question: Were you pleasantly surprised with the weight and quality of the belt when you? Oh yeah, it? for sure. Like it, it's an it's awesome. Like it uh it really is awesome. Like even my wife was was pretty impressed with it, and uh. Love you know, it. Like, I, I had told her that I had won a championship belt and I was doing, you know, the discount double check like, so <laughs> leading up to it coming in. And so she was just rolling her eyes like, I don't even want to know what 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 you've got on the way. But then when it got here, like it was just like shiny and brand new. And like, I, I mean, I look at it all the time. I've got it, you know, in the grotto, as I call it, in the dog den. Um, and I just look at it all the time. Like it, it's it's a nice belt. Like it is. It's legit. It's not like some toy plastic, you know, piece of junk. Like it's it's a nice belt. So company we got it through is this company Undisputed Belts. And like, you know, dude, you look at stuff online and you have no idea how it's gonna actually turn out. Right. So I'm like putting design together and figuring out what I want the side plates to be and all this stuff. And I'm like emailing the guy because I go like, Hey dude, I just submitted this belt to y'all and I just need you to know. I need to know if it's actually gonna look like it shows me on the website or if it's gonna look like kind of funky when i get it he's like oh no dude i'm gonna send you over proofs it's gonna look cool so he sent me the first proof yeah, and i'm awesome. like in my brain i'm going if it actually looks like this it's gonna be freaking awesome so then dude obviously like everything's going on with covid and they shipped from california so that some bitch took like forever to get here and so i'm you like ordered with, this a while ago oh dude while back like while back yeah i'm like waited waiting with bated breath for this thing to come to the house. So I get home one day and there's just a box sitting on our island kitchen or kitchen island. <laughs> and dude, it's just like a very it's the same box I sent it to you. So like yeah, dude, you yeah. look at the box and you go, Oh, it's not gonna be that big. Like, oh man, it's not gonna be not big as I thought it was gonna be. Was. Yeah. Yeah. So I crack the box open and it's like in one of those like drawstring bags. And I'm like, well I like this because I yeah. like appearance. So this is good. And then I crack it open and I'm like, oh the weight on this thing is legit. So literally, dude, I yank it out that bag and I walk right into the living room with it strapped over my shoulder and I stepped one leg up on my couch and I just gave him the people's champ with it raised <laughs> above my head and I was raising the people's <laughs> eyebrow for my whole family. And they're looking at me like, you're such an idiot. Yeah. I'm oh, like, yeah. This thing is awesome. <laughs> it, it is. Like I was thinking the other day, I got kind of melancholy because I was like, man, what if I don't win the pick them next year and I have to like send this thing off? Like, what if I just don't send it off? <laughs> <laughs> I just send them a different one. I keep it. <laughs> like I'm already dreading, like essentially having to get rid of it. That's how. That's how cool it is. You're gonna, dude. You're gonna have to be strategic with your week you pick next week. So that uh, for the listeners, that's what I told Chase. I said, I said the caveat is you got to come back next year to pick. But since you're the champ, you get to pick whatever week you want to come. So my advice, you take it for what it's worth. But I would pick a week later in the season. Oh yeah. So you got a lot of empirical evidence before you lay down your 10 picks. 
Yeah. I may do Halloween. Ooh, that's a good one. That's yeah. cocktail party weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, extra, I'm extra juice rolling into that weekend. I'm good for that. I think, yeah. Also, I think if we are ever all going to be in the same place, like if we're all in Charlotte for the game or we're all in Athens one weekend, I think it's compulsory that if we're going to see you, you have to have the belt in your possession. Okay. So we so you can rock it and we get at least one photo opportunity. That thing yeah. is legit. Although yeah. if my car is nearby, because my my wife, she'll go to the, you know, go to the game, go to the tailgate, so doesn't always go into the game. So I have somewhere I can leave it and I don't have to worry about keeping up with it in the game. Or, you know, shoot, I might walk into a game with it and just, you know, every touchdown, <laughs> pick six. This will, this will be my savage pad. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> That's great. I think that could get you an honorary invite to the Spike Squad if you were rocking that bad boy. Well, uh, so that's, yeah, that's I'm, awesome. I'm excited about it. I was pumped that you won. I was like, this is going to be a great ambassador for the first ever oh, belt. Yeah. So, I mean, this this is a natural follow-up question to that is, who was your favorite wrestler when you were a kid? Oh, man. Gosh. When we talk about wrestlers, we talk about eras. You know, when when I was real little, I loved, like, ultimate warrior and of course you know like hulk hogan and those guys but the older i got and like monday night raw became like so intense and you had the nwo and you know it got like really really dirty i obviously loved stone cold but then when goldberg came onto the scene obviously he was my guy yeah and uh so i loved i loved stone cold and i loved goldberg and then after those guys i kind of faded out from it and didn't really watch it as much. And I probably haven't watched it in 15 years. Um, but I have one of my good buddies, the guy that lives in Raleigh. He was obsessed with wrestling. And we would do these like uh, Royal Rumbles with all our little wrestling figures out on a trampoline. And we would just jump yeah. on the trampoline. And the last <laughs> figurine on the trampoline won the Royal Rumble. And like he's got his son into it. They still go like, you know, whenever they're in, they used to live in Birmingham. So whenever you know, it was in Birmingham or nearby. They they still go and like buy the t-shirts and I mean get into it. But yeah, for me when it was younger, it was pretty much um everybody except like the bad guy. Like whatever the good guy was, like I loved them. And then of course you had um was it Legion of Doom? Oh yeah. Um yeah, oh, you, yeah. Had, you had them and then uh the Bushwhackers. Loved uh -huh. the Bushwhackers. Yep. Um obviously Bret Hart and um uh, Bret the Hitman Hart. What was it? Scott was Scott Steiner was yeah. that his partner? Well, so British Bulldog. No, he had Jim Anvil Neidhart originally, and then British Bulldog later on. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So those guys were awesome. But like I said, when it got to, when I was when I started getting into like eighth grade, ninth grade, um, and my cousins lived like four houses down, and I would go down there for Monday Night Raw every night, and was obsessed with Stone Cold and Goldberg, and uh, would always try to get my grandmother to like take me to the mall and get like an Austin 316 t-shirt and she <laughs> she would look at me like I was cursed and be like I'm not buying you do you know what this means this is blasphemy and like I never got an Austin <laughs> she would never buy me one and I knew I couldn't ask my parents for one they'd be like you're out of your mind and I'm like wow oh, my grandmother would get it and she wouldn't do it so I had to settle for some like Goldberg shirt that was like this big graphic. It was like a picture tee and it had like his tattoo running through it. And I, mean, I didn't settle for it. I loved it. But um I, I would have to say Stone Cold and Goldberg were my guys for wrestling. So dude, I was I was real into it in high school. Same. Like, you know, the Monday Night Wars were happening, it was like a big deal. So mm -hmm. 
The Rock was my guy. People's champ. And I'm I'm talking back when he was like originally Rocky Maivia. Like yeah, oh yeah. When he was when he was still with the Nation of Domination, like the whole deal, right? Oh yeah. So we uh I, I got two people's champ stories. So first one is we we used to I had a buddy whose dad worked at the Richmond Coliseum. And he was nice enough to invite me to go to wrestling with him. Well his dad got like front row or second to front row seat at the Coliseum. So like I'm just this Huckleberry from small town Virginia sitting second row at wrestling, thinking I'm cat's pajamas. So, dude, we made a sign that said, uh, what did we, what did the sign say? It was like, um, shirt $500. Cause you know, you always used to say my $500 shirt and it said watch $1,000. See in the people's eyebrow in person, priceless. Priceless. Yeah. So we got on TV. Oh man. Like, I mean, you would thought, we won the lottery, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that was like my, my closest exposure to, to the champ. Well, dude, I go to law school in Boston. And at the same time I was in law school in Boston, he was shooting Tooth Fairy in Boston. Okay. Horrendous move. Okay. Unless the champ <laughs> this episode, then it was greatest cinematic masterpiece in history. Okay. Yeah. But <laughs> by the, they were shooting the movie, but uh, like a block from my school. So I get out of class one day and I'm, I'm going to walk over here and see if I can see the champ. So, I'm sitting there and it's like winter in Boston, 18 degrees. I'm freezing my ass off. So I'm sitting at this hotel, you know, half hour, hour, hour and a half, just all these people with cameras and, you know, all the PAs and everything, but no talent. So did I'm about to leave and I'm on the phone with my brother. And I'm like, Hey dude, I'm, I'm here trying to see the champ, but I, I got to get out of here. So like literally, as I said that this Lincoln continental pulls up and I'm like, Oh, hold up, hold up. My brother's like, what? I'm like, just hold up. So, dude, people's champ walks out the car. And, I mean, he's like 10 feet away from me because I'm at right at the barrier where he's walking in. So, I just go, finally, The Rock has come back to Boston. And he looks over and he goes, hell yes, he has. <laughs> so, my brother hears the whole thing. My brother's like, this is awesome. I, like, dropped the phone, freaking out. That is so, so yeah. cool. <laughs> that's, that's my only people's champ story. That's a good one. That's a good but one. Yeah. So that was my guy. Who was your guy, boss? Well, in that era, it was it was obviously The Rock. And I mean, I love The Rock, Stone Cold Rivalry. I just, it was great. But I mean, The Rock was my guy. But growing up, I was really into wrestling. I rem- And Bret Hart was my guy. Whether he was a tag team, singles, I loved the Hart Foundation when they were together. And then when they broke up and Bret Hart went singles, I remember his match against Mr. Perfect in SummerSlam. I think it was like 1990, 1991, and he won his first singles uh, title. I remember that. I remember when he lost the heavyweight championship to Yokozuna in the first outdoor WrestleMania. Like, I was so, like, as a kid, I was so heartbroken. I I mean, I was, like, devastated. But, I mean, I was, like, 10. Um, Right. But, I mean, Bret Hart was my guy growing up. Like, still to this day, like, he's my favorite. And when he went to WCW... Like, they did so little with him. Like, I didn't watch WCW growing up until he went there. And then they did so little with him when he was there. I was just like, what are they doing? And then he ended up, you know, kind of fading off after that. If I was a college economics professor and I was trying to teach the free market, I would just do a case study on the wrestling industry. Like, competition is good. Because... Dude, the 90s were great because they were battling, right? Like WCW was trying to have its market share and Vince and WWF were trying to have their market share. And like, and for the consumer, it was awesome because you got it. It's great. 
you, you got it on different night, right? Yep. Didn't WCW yep. come on like Saturday night, like really, really late? Yeah. So when we were kids, yeah, they were on different days. But then when yeah. they started to compete, that's when they started the Monday Night Wars, and it that's like right. turned yeah, it the Monday Night Wars. Yeah. People would be going back and forth, and then they'd have competing pay per views. I mean, it was it was awesome. And yeah. I think because of that, you had more more talent in each thing, and they're trying to foster all that. Just man, now it's it's just I feel like watered down. I just don't feel like anybody's good on the mic anymore, and that's what made it great was the guys cutting promos and oh. doing good work. And it's just it's different now. I mean, because yeah. I don't feel like they're allowed to freelance anymore. No, I, it's, it's all it's all right. They're all it's all scripted so much mm-hmm. that they're not allowed to go off script at all. Well, I think and part of that script is, was the best part of it. You know, like you're Absolutely. saying, that was that was the best part. Like Ric Flair and uh, you know, the, those charismatic guys are what made it so good. And like even like Shawn Michaels, like you know, some of those guys that you know had their moment, and it, it was just it was so fun back then. And my dad, all he was never into wrestling, and he would see me watch it, and he'd be like, "What are you doing? You know, it's all made up." And I'm like, "You think getting hit by a chair is made up?" And I would get so mad. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Laugh and walk off. Oh, I love it. Okay. We're going to transition to second brewski here. G Day announced. I was happy about that, especially with some schools not to be named, not having theirs. And Josh Brooks comes out and says that they're going to do the same fan capacity as the season. So, I mean, that's great, right? Um, and then I think the Dog Nation article came out and said that it's going to be Hartman Fund donors get first crack at it. And then tickets are going to go on sale general public, I believe, March 15th. And that's going to start at 10 bucks. So first off, I mean, uh, I'm going to assume that we all are in the camp that we think it'll be sold out, right? I would, I yeah. would think so. Um, just because of what, you know, the year it's coming off. Um, in a normal year, if they said, hey, uh, we're only going to sell 25,000 tickets, I'm not sure they would sell 25,000 tickets. But I think coming off this crazy year where a lot of people didn't get to go to a game at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that there's this deal where there's a limitation on everything, it kind of has that call to action feel to it. Yeah. um, Where, where I think people will grab up the tickets. Um, But I would say like in a normal year, if they were just like, Hey, we're doing some renovations some construction, we're only going to have 25,000 for G day. It it would probably, probably get to that. Um, But I think, the way it is now with people not getting to go to games, people not really having anything to do and the anticipation of this year, everybody's pumped about this season, this upcoming season and it's, you know, potential. So yeah, I think it'll be sold out. Yeah. I feel the same way. I, I, I mean, I think too, 10 bucks, right? Like that's nothing. My, I guess my secondary question was going to be, do you think they're turned there? There becomes a secondary market for G Day tickets, right? Like, are we going to see G Day tickets on StubHub or whatever, right? Just because there are going to be people. Because I'll tell you something, I'd be one of them that if I don't get one of the tickets on March fifteenth, my ass would buy a ticket for thirty five, forty bucks just because I want to go, right? Right. So, um, I, I guess that's one piece that I'm interested to see. I mean, you know, I it, it's interesting though because I. I guess you look at it from the prism of what a normal year looks like, but comparatively, even with the limited attendance, I didn't think it was terribly hard to get a ticket this year at a really economical price if you really wanted to go. I mean, what we paid to go to Columbia and what we paid to go to uh, to Jacksonville is way less than I've ever paid before mm-hmm. to go to a road game or to go to the cocktail party. 
Um, and in all honesty, the seats were better. So yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, what was your experience with that, Chase? Like when you when you were going to games, did you have any issue getting tickets, or like what was that experience like compared to other years? No, um, I didn't feel like they were expensive. I guess from a number standpoint, like you know, you would see a lot of the games, especially early, like Auburn or Tennessee, or you know, something really early out of the gate, they would be, you know, 115, 120, which with, for what they cost face value this year, that wasn't, you know, that was, I think actually below face value. I think they were like 150 or something face value this year. So yeah, it was actually a better deal when you were looking on the secondary market. Cause a lot of people would be saying, you know, it was 150 face, I'll take 150. And then it's like, ah, eh, okay, I'll take 200 for two. So yeah, like a hundred bucks for a ticket, you know, that's more than you would pay, I guess, technically in a normal season, but it was actually less than face value this year. So it, for me, it was one of those deals where it's like, look, I'm only going to go to one or two games. So right. if, I, if I have to spend 150 or you know 175 or whatever ticket, that's fine because it, it might be the only one I go to. Whereas in a normal year, if you're going to five, six or all the home games or you know if you're wild and crazy and you go to all the games, you're probably not spending $200 a ticket. You're probably, you know, pinching a little bit to, you know, save up for Jacksonville or the big road game or, or something like that. But I didn't think it was difficult to get a ticket. They were definitely more available than I thought there would be. And, and I think that was just a, a byproduct of people at the last minute, you know, maybe not wanting to go and being like, yeah. I don't really want to get out in that crowd. Like my parents were not necessarily scared of the whole you know, Corona and all that, they were obviously mindful of it, but, and, th and they usually go to three or four games a year. And like, you couldn't even talk my mom into going. It was like, Hey, yeah. what if somebody like gives me tickets this week? You want to go? And she's like, I'm not going to get in that mass of people. I'll watch it at home and da, 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 da. And that's fine. Like, I think a lot of people did that too. So as, you know, yep. as the week went on, you know, people were just like, ah, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm not in. So there were more tickets available than I thought but i didn't think they were like egregiously priced like a lot of people kind of led you to believe well there's only going to be twenty thousand tickets so it's going to be four hundred dollars a ticket i did not see that which which i was happy about and it you know I, i'm i'm thankful that i got to go to two games because there are a lot of people that didn't get to go to any and whether they chose to or just couldn't find tickets or whatever but actually kind of like we talked about during the season it was it was kind of nice to be in there and have leg room and no lines at the bathroom or concessions or anything like that. But, you know, it was definitely a different feel when you watched the game without there being a hundred thousand people in there. And I'm definitely looking forward to getting back to that more so than like having leg room and no line at the bathroom. Like I, I'll, I'll take that trade off of a packed house in a raucous environment any day. Yeah. That's a good point. Cause we talk about that a lot too. Like, you know, this was my, third fourth cocktail party in in the stadium and it was obviously different right like the atmosphere was way different but i mean the viewing experience was incredible i mean right. <laughs> you just you have a section to yourself essentially like my brother yeah. and i sat on a row that nobody else was on i mean it was yeah. it was awesome but the flip side of that was you know there's just not just not the juice right like there's just there's just something missing like you know it still felt big and all that stuff but it just it was weird. Like Boston, I've talked about this a little bit. It just like even the playoffs, like on TV and stuff. I know this is the viewership was down, and I think to a lot of people, it almost didn't feel. And I'm doing the air quotes, but real. Does that yeah. make sense? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. It just felt felt like a weird situation. I think the NFL was the same. Like it was just kind of a weird environment. Like I think your just expectation is visually to see that, and then obviously to go is to feel it. So that was different. What do y'all think is going to happen in Charlotte in September? Where do you think that's going to sit? Like, boss, how many how many people do you think they'll have at Bank of America? Do you think it'll be half full, quarter full? Where do you think they're going to be at? With it being in North Carolina, I think we'll be. It, It'll be like 25% of that stadium, which is what, 17, 18,000. You yeah. know, I mean, I know we're, I know we're, what, seven months away from it. I don't know. I'm almost six months away because it's almost end of February, but just with the way North Carolina is and then not having fans in the stands until October and then only having 25% then, I just, I don't see North Carolina really budging on that stance. Um, maybe go up to 35, 40%, but I, I don't see them having a 50% stadium in September. I just, I wish they would, but I don't see it. Yeah, I kind of agree. I, I just kind of get the vibe that they're going to be, you know, slow to pull the trigger on it like they were for this year. So if, let's say, you know, the SEC comes out or Georgia comes out, you know, a bunch of, you know, power five places come out and say, Hey, we're going to do 50% capacity this year or 60 or 75 or whatever it is. I think. Whatever that is, I think North Carolina will be like a quarter of that. So if, if everybody else is at 50, 60, 75%, I would say, yeah, North Carolina is somewhere around 25 to 30 or 40% just with how strict they have been. I don't know the right word for it, but they have been a little bit more um, conservative in opening to, to mass gatherings, big public venues. So. Hopefully, you know, we're out of the woods in seven months, but even then, I would say they're probably going to play it safe and keep it at a, you know, a minimum number, unfortunately, because, you know, that stinks because, you know, I was looking forward and I think we all are looking forward to going down there and having a Jacksonville type atmosphere in Charlotte. And I just, I just don't see it happening. I was talking with my wife the other day, like, it's hard to believe that it was a year ago that all this was happening. And yeah. it was just, a, it was, you know, it was just going to be a few weeks and, and wherever you fall with that, the bottom line is it's been a year and, yeah. you know, we're still doing the same stuff. Like we're still in the same boat. Um, as far as athletic goes to a degree, at least they're playing now, but it doesn't look like they're making a, an effort to, you know, get people into NBA games. Like it doesn't look like they're, you know, progressively moving into, crowds and limited crowds and stuff like that at these NBA games. I mean, college is going to have a few spectators at the tournament, but you know, the point is it's a year later and we're still in the same boat. So there's not really any reason to think that, Oh, well by the time September rolls around, it'll be full go, especially in North Carolina. Yeah. I think there's a couple variables at play. So one think up on the positive side, minor league baseball is coming back and, um, they're going to start later, not till May, but that is at least going to give Charlotte an outdoor case study, right? Um, the Knights will be there. They'll have a schedule. Uh, I, I would foresee at a baseball venue them having some fans, maybe, maybe more than some. Who knows? And um, I, that's an opportunity for them to figure out, hey, this worked, this didn't work, whatever, right? So I like yeah, that. That's a good I point. I think that's better than coming into that situation dry with no other, um, you know, no other case studies per se. The other thing that I think is at play here, which really Georgia, Clemson, the SEC, nor the ACC or, or Dukes for that matter, 
or Charlotte Sports Foundation are going to have any say over. And that's the interplay with the NFL, right? I think because it's at an NFL stadium, I think the NFL, whether it's publicized or not, is going to have a say in that equation. They're going to be able to, you know, the Pan- it's Panthers home stadium. They have their contract with the city. They're going to have a voice in that to be able to say, hey, look, the optics aren't good for us, for y'all to have, you know, 35, 36,000 people to watch Georgia Clemson. And then we come to play the Falcons next week and we got five, right? So I think, right. I think all, I think all that's going to play into it and it'll be interesting to see kind of how it plays out. I mean, look, either way, I will be in the Queen City Labor Day weekend. Um, whether or not I'm in the stadium or not is, is yet to be seen. Uh, right, obviously right. it's just going to depend on demand and like what the prices are, but I will be there just because I want to be a part of whatever atmosphere that is there. Um, yeah. and I just, I just think to y'all's point, like everybody just, it just wants a little slice of normal, right? I think we're all searching for that and that feels normal. Like even when we were in Jacksonville without a full stadium, it just felt normal to be in Jacksonville around that time of year and Georgia's playing Florida. Right. And that felt good. And for about 12 hours, it didn't feel like the world was off kilter. And I think that's what people are right. searching for. So I hope I hope this provides that. And I, man, I, I sure hope we're we're closer to that. Um, and at some point, and nobody wants to talk about this, but look, boys, at some point the money's come into it, right? Like at some point, these organizations that their lifeblood is ticket money and revenue at these weekends is going to say, "Hey, look, we, we got to figure something out because we're going out of business." Right. And I'll give you a case in point, and I don't know the full backstory. There's this great restaurant here in Charleston. Um, called the Macintosh and they made an announcement today that they're closing. Mm. And I don't know the full backstory on it, but they, they've been open for over a decade in downtown Charleston, really good food. And you telling me that's all coincidence or it's because of the circumstance of the last year, right? I mean, right. if you owned a small business and Chase, you can speak to this, you've had to figure it out, right? I mean, it's not been a normal year. People aren't operating with normal budgets. And so if you're in the business of creating a product or selling a service, yeah, it's been a, it's been a year. Yeah. And, and, um, for, for all those businesses, small businesses, college towns, whatever it may be, man, I, I hope we're getting on the backside of it because I think those things are the lifeblood of the country. And man, I just want all that pumping. So, yeah. And that's a good point about, you know, being the lifeblood of the country is just like, you know, for me, when I thought about, you know, not having a full stadium and that sort of thing, like that was one thing and that stunk. But I thought about the businesses in Athens that rely on that revenue six, seven weeks of the year, literally yep. six or seven weeks of the year. And that was cut in half, you know, yep. just by population. So you take those six or seven weeks and you turn it into two, two full weeks, basically over the course of the season with how many people were or not in town. And it's, you know, it's sad, like it for those restaurants, for the bars, for the shops, you know, all of that stuff. I think about the guy that, you know, stands out there with no arms and paints the pictures. Yeah. Um, You know, how much of a hit did he take when there weren't 50,000 people roaming around downtown? There was the, the two games I went to were both in Athens and there weren't people roaming around downtown. You know, you would have, a few lines at bars after the game or, or, you know, at night or something like that. But it was not the way it was, you know, normally when you had people on the corner with just wads of tickets trying to get rid of them and lines to cross the street and stuff like that there, that wasn't down, that wasn't there. Like 
I know for me and my dad, when it's just the two of us and we go to the game, we have to go to Little Italy before or after the game and get pizza. And usually you wait in line sometimes, you know, 30 minutes or so. And we walked right in. And not only did we walk right in, we sat at a booth, which is unheard of, you know, unless you get like super lucky. You're usually just, you know, pulling up a seat to a table where somebody else is sitting. Um, And so just just that kind of stuff, like how it killed the economy is you know, to your point, at some point, the money comes into this whole thing and they say, hey, people are closing down rapidly. Like, it's okay. Maybe you can fight it off for a year, but not two years and not three years. You know, those those places are going to shut down. And we've seen way too many good places close in Nashville, restaurants mainly. And it's just, you know, we, we're proud of ourselves for, for sticking it out and, and, you know, we think making it through it but you also feel terrible for these places that have been open 30, 40 years, if not more, that couldn't sustain it. Um, yeah. Just because of their overhead, their location, their rent, you know, a lot of factors that, that we don't necessarily have. And it just stinks that, you know, thankfully we made it through, but these other companies that have been open for a long time, they just, you know, they just had to close it up. They, they, they couldn't do anything other than just stop operating and cut their losses. And it's sad, like you don't find out until you go there to eat and it's got a closed sign in the window and the chairs yep. are all up on the table and it's just heartbreaking. So, yeah, it, it, it's it got to get back to normal and the money is going to start to talk as it always does. And hopefully it's sooner than later in a good way. You know, hopefully they get it figured out and we get back to full stadiums and and we get rid of this virus and and, and we feel protected. But Oh, I just, I just, I hurt for those companies and those, those little businesses in the college towns. If we go through another fall, the way we did this year, which it's a great story for college sports, but it's not a great story for the college towns. Yeah. That that's been a big one for, we talked about it a bunch on our show. Just, you know, you love Athens, right? Like, I think that's as, as much of it as anything is, you know, you love Georgia, you love the football team, but you love Athens too. I mean, I think Athens is such a big piece of that puzzle. And that's part of the reason, like, I want to go for G-Day. And that's part of the reason that I already bought Absolutely. tickets to go to, to go to Top Golf at Sanford is because I want to go in that local economy and spend my money, right? Yep. Like, for sure. I want I want those businesses to get that hit, however small it may be, right? And um, because, dude, they're losing. I mean, it's it's even little things, right? Like, even what, like, say, to, like a basketball game or a basketball Saturday or oh, for sure. gradual graduation or whatever. Like, I, I looked, I think this, I think the weekend of G Day is actually a home baseball weekend, too. And that's what stinks is because it hardly ever lines up this way. And now it lines up that way. And nobody yeah. can, or, you know, limited capacity at everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm hoping they explain a little bit. Like we went to Charlotte's campus this weekend. I was in Charlotte to visit my brother this weekend. And we went to campus because he played baseball there. And we went to see, you know, because they were opening up and they had no fans first weekend. And he said they're graduating it each weekend to bring people in to the baseball stadium. Uh-huh. I think like first three weekends, it's going to be family only. Then they're going to keep going or whatever. But so there was probably 50 people camped out on the hill that sits like above the stadium, kind of yeah. like it was in right field at, at Foley this weekend. Right. So, yeah, yeah. um, you know, it is, I think that is neat that people are still finding a way. And I think 
I will say this because I want to stand up for this because I, I believe this. Because I've seen certain places where that's got painted negatively, and I just hate that, right? Because I think the aim for those folks is, number one, show the kids some support, right? And I don't think it's people being irresponsible or any of those things. I think people are just looking for a way to support something that they love. And, I mean, I love that, man. I love seeing people out in right field and hanging out. Because my understanding is it's just that's a house. Guys live in the house, yeah. And then, if you like, oh, yeah. c- come up, give them like a case of beer or something. They let you come in the backyard and watch the ball game. Yeah, it's it's off campus, so there's no there's no campus rules there about distancing and and all of that. It's it's private property, and they they pack them in there. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. So I was glad to see some people there, and I mean, man, they saw some electric Indies uh, Saturday, and uh, dude, they had a lot of young guys play. We had. Um, we had Coach Strickland on the show. When was it, boss? Like back in May? Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, he was great. I, I mean, he was really, really great, and uh, told some great stories. And um, it, it, my heart still kind of breaks for them because you could just tell talking to him, he felt like they were set up to really, really make a run at make it. A run. Go deep, yeah. yeah. Go deep, man. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that they get, you know, restock and, and roll. So, well, all right. I, I want to ask you guys about this too. So boss, I'm going to let you start and then let you go chase. Cause it's, it's your, it's your town now, but boss is the resident O-line expert. So I want to talk about Isaiah Wilson, obviously. No. Um, I, I will say, and maybe this should have been a, uh, a cautionary sign earlier. His Twitter handle should give us some pause. I think. <laughs> if the Twitter handle is lazy, I don't know if right. that's a good indication right. of the continual work ethic, but I'll be honest. And I think maybe it was Seth Emerson that spoke to this in the mailbag this week. Do y'all ever remember hearing anything when he was in Athens about there being a work ethic problem or like, uh, you know, he doesn't show up to practice. You know what I mean? Like I, I just never heard any of those things. And like Seth Emerson said in the mailbag, like we never heard anything like that when he was here. And he was always really easy to deal with with the media. And so, I mean, well, I guess just open floor. What's your read on the boss? Like, what do you think? What do you think driving on? Too young to deal with it, or, or what? Couple of things. First off, I'll I'll speak to the first part about what Emerson said. Never heard anything. Never heard any rumors. This whole situation came as a complete shock, and he genuinely always seemed like a really good kid. And not saying he's not a good kid. Just this whole situation has been very surprising. Second thing is. He loved playing for Pittman. And it is clear that he does not like his coaches, the way that he's handled the situation. He's playing for Vrabel, who comes from the Belichick tree. That's not an easy transition. Not saying that Kirby playing for Kirby and Pittman is easy, but to go to play in that type of environment, that tree, like coming to that type of environment is not easy. Plus, he showed a lot of immaturity this year. He's 21. Let's not forget that. He turned 21. I want to say, I, I think he turned 21 either right before or right after he got drafted. So he's young. He's really young. That's a lot of money for a, you know, 20, 21 year old to come into. Not everyone. I mean, could you imagine us at 20, 21 year old getting that, for that much money? I, I mean, what would we I'm, be? I'm sure I'd be alive. Yeah. So yeah. it's just 
not everyone can handle it, and he has not handled the situation very well. And I really hope he can turn it around. And it, this isn't in the, you know no line situation at all. I just I think he just he has a lot of not the right people behind him at this point in time. He needs to get some of those people that'll you know set him on the right path. Really, his mama needs to get a hold of him. The, the mama that was on draft day that got that girl away from him and needs to get <laughs> smack him upside the head. And be like, what's wrong with you, boy? You know, you're throwing your career away. That's really the the best thing for him at this point. And I really think he he has all the talent in the world. He can turn it around. He just needs to he just needs to get in there and work. And I, I really this has just been the whole story's been baffling. And every time he did something, I kept thinking, okay, this is it. He's gonna turn it around, and we'll see him on the field in a couple of weeks. And then something else would happen. It's just like, what is going on? And I I really have no words to describe it. I Every time I, I hear something, I kept kept thinking to myself, what does Sam think? What does Kirby think of this? And how it, how it reflected bad on Georgia. Because this is the second year in a row that they've had a first-round pick that's just, you know, Baker and now Wilson that has really just kind of backfired to them. So it, it just has not looked well. But I really think he can turn around if he, if he wants to. If not, he's going to be out of the league. I don't see someone else really... He's got immense talent, but really wanted to take a chance on him the way he's acted, especially now with the tweet he posted and then deleted yesterday. I mean, when your career's on the line, you don't post stuff like that. No, you're right, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, so I, what's it what's been like in Nashville? Like, people are probably not happy about it, I would guess. Oh, they're so mad about it. You know, like, what is this guy doing? Because this is a football town. You got a lot of SEC people here. Uh, you obviously got a lot of Tennessee fans. Um, and the Titans, I call them the Tennessee's backup team, involved backup team. So like when Tennessee's not doing well in football, which has been the last 20 years, that they're, you know, gung-ho Titans fans. And I know, I, I like it when the Titans do well. It's fun to be around when, when they're doing well. No Titans fan by any means. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're ticked. You know, they were excited about this guy. I remember on draft night, it was kind of a surprise. Everybody was texting me like, Hey, what about this kid? And I was like, Hey, he's, he was a beast for two years. He, he, he's young. He hasn't played a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, he is an absolute monster. He's the biggest guy I've ever seen in my life. And, and, and so for this stuff to happen, it, I'm with you guys. I'm as shocked as anyone because there wasn't ever any character issues. There wasn't ever any stories of him being lazy. If anything, it was the opposite because when he came in, they talked about how he was raw and he was just big and he had to work on his body. And I remember going to G-Day, which would have been his going into his redshirt freshman year. So I guess maybe G-Day is 2018, 2019, whatever his redshirt freshman spring was. And I remember, you know, talking with some people and, and they were just like, look at what Isaiah Wilson's done with his body. And, you know, they just were raving about his work ethic and how he took care of himself and he, quote, learned how to play. Um, so to hear that he is not taking care of himself, not from a physical standpoint, but just mentally and, and not working hard and you know seemingly not caring about football is really surprising because of the transformation he made from high school to the first time he played a game, getting his body in incredible shape. Um, I actually was fortunate to watch one of the scrimmages in the summer of 2019 and like he worked hard. I mean, it's hot out there and everybody's sweaty. He was 
pouring sweat. And it wasn't just because it was hot. It was because he was out there working. And he obviously knew it was a uh, it was a contract year. You know, he was he yeah. was leaving after that year. Yeah. Um, but you know, like like Boss said, he's twenty one. He's young. Um, obviously, super immature. And it's like you know, he got drafted and, and got some money, and it's it almost like he arrived. When no, now it's just now starting. Like you 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 work harder now. And for me, it's like, what are you doing at Tennessee State's homecoming party? Like right. anybody that's ever spent any time in Nashville, especially lived here, knows TSU homecoming weekend. You you stay away. Like something always happens. There's somebody gets shot, somebody gets mugged. You know, something always happens. Why are you down there in the thick of it? You're a first round NFL draft pick. Like you have NFL people you can hang out with. You've got beautiful women you could hang out with. You've got the penthouse. You know wherever he lived in Nashville. You. You've got a better life than going to TSU homecoming. And you only do that at that status, at that stature, if you're looking for trouble, in my opinion. And then not only do you go to it, you're doing DU, you're you're doing donuts down Charlotte Pike, which is, you know, a main road that goes from basically TSU's campus to a degree all the way into downtown. And you're doing donuts and getting a DUI and wrecking your car. Like, what are you doing? You're not in college anymore. You chose to leave college. So why are you going to TSU's homecoming? That's the part that was frustrating to me. Like I said, not a Titans fan. I'm a fan of Isaiah Wilson. I'm a fan of all the dogs. Why are you going into environments like that? You know, if it was a, a normal club on Broadway or a bar or something like that, okay, that, that happens all the time with professional athletes. Why are you going to TSU's homecoming and just walking into bad environments? That's the part where I think that is you start to question character, want to, um, you know, all of those things that he may not get a second chance from is is doing stuff like that. Obviously, the work ethic on the field is a question. But then when you start thinking about off the field stuff, it's just like, you know, we're not going to take on that risk. You know, you may be talented as all get out, but I kind of feel like the tight enamored with his size. And I, I, I think we're all in agreement. We, we didn't see him going in the first round. No, I didn't. Uh, that, was, no. that was a surprise to me. So I think they may have just gotten enamored with his size, and, and he got there, and it was raw, and they were trying to whip him into to shape and, you know, getting him ready, and maybe he just didn't take the coaching. But, you know, I don't know if you all listened to Bussin' with the Boys with uh, Taylor Lewan and Will Compton and, and those, those two Titans guys. Yeah. I have no idea what it's like in an NFL locker room, but listening to those guys, man, it's a, it's a, they, now they're funny and, and, and it's a good show, but like you're a rookie and you walk in there and you don't want to work in front of those guys that have busted their tails for five to six years. And you're the, the bookend to Taylor Lewan and you don't want to act right. It probably doesn't make for a fun work environment. And maybe he just was like, nah, I don't, this isn't what I signed up for, you know, and that's just part of that. 21 year old image. Um, but, you know, I hope he gets it together. I hope this is a wake up call for him because I think, you know, we all know he's super talented and he's only going to get better. He only played, what, two years for us at Georgia? Yeah. And he's, he's still yeah. got the height of his career in front of him. He's just got to mentally decide he wants to play in the National Football League and he will. I think there's a couple things that play with this. And look, you know, look, he, He's not the only guy that's ever been drafted, so plenty of guys are dealing with the transition. But I do think that the college is a quasi 
real world, right? Like no. there are so many support structures that are put in place within the program to ensure that the guys have the best chance to succeed. And once you get drafted, it's grown man time now. You you got to figure this out. You got to you got to allot your time responsibly. You got to make sure and go home and study everything. You got to make sure you're putting the work in. And I think in general, it's difficult to prognosticate what 21 and 22 year old kids are going to do in those situations, right? And I think that's the difficulty of being in a front office in a professional sports organization, whether that's football, baseball, basketball, whatever, right? Is you're dealing with human beings and you just don't know how they're going to respond to certain situations. And so you, you couple the extravagance on the money side with the first time responsibilities that come along with doing that. And I'm sure there's pressure with that too, right? And I mean, I'm not a psychologist or anything, but there has to be a mental piece to that where you feel X amount of pressure and he, he maybe you should know how to handle it, right? And he certainly wouldn't be the first guy and he won't be the last. But like y'all said, I think we are all rooting for the positive to happen and for him to kind of take hold of the opportunity and flourish, right? And you just hope that the Titans and, you know, maybe they've already given him a ton of grace. It sounds like they have given him a ton of grace given it, you know, this isn't like some isolated occurrence. I mean, the tweets and the the DUI and thing at the party and jumping out the window. And I mean, it's been a lot of stuff. So they both sounded, uh, Brable and I can't remember the GM's name, but I, I thought for public statements, they made, they said a lot without saying a lot, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And they, they seemed at their wits end with it. So yeah, I, I just think it'll be interesting to kind of see what goes on. And obviously we hope he progresses and does well, but yeah, uh, I don't know. It seems up in the air right now. Uh, I want to talk to you guys real quick about a couple things on the player side. First thing, I want to comment on Jamil Adai. So two questions for both of you. Number one, would you think of a hire? And number two, as it pertains to the hire, do you think we hunt the portal for secondary help? Or do you think we start 2021 uh, with the secondary that's currently on the roster. Chase, you start. First of all, as far as the hire goes, man, I'm, I fully trust Kirby with all the hires. Um, I'm not going to pretend to know who's a, a hidden star in the coaching world other than, other than my boy at Charlotte. Shout out Will Healy. Um, I'm not going <laughs> to go pretend. Niners. Yeah, exactly. Niner Nation. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and act like I know who the best secondary guy is and, you know, all those things. If if Kirby Smart brought this guy in to handle his baby, his part of the defense, then it's a A-plus hire to me. Um, and it seems like just from reading what, you know, we all read and, and listen to, you know, the same thing, he sounds like a home run hire. He's a young guy. He's energetic. He played at West Virginia. If you leave your alma mater and go coach for Kirby Smart, that holds weight. Like, that's a that's a big deal, in my opinion. So he, he his numbers – spoke for himself at West Virginia last year in a pass happy league. You know, I think they led the big 12 and pass defense. So, and, and he was he the co-defensive coordinator, I believe so title wise. Um, so he, his fingerprints were on that defense. It wasn't just a, a deal where he was coaching the secondary. So I think that's impressive, but if Kirby hired this guy to run the secondary, then it's a good hire to me. 
Um, as far as the roster, I think you absolutely have to get into the portal. I, I know we've got some talented guys, and you know maybe Amir Speed shows up this year, or William Poole, or something like that. But the cold hard truth is they haven't yet. So I'm not sure I want to risk that going into Charlotte. You know, yeah. going against DJ and those other guys from Clemson. Um, so let's get in the portal. You don't have to make a decision right now, but I think you get in the portal and you find a guy that can help day one. I don't think you go and you get somebody uh, just because, you know, they're they're in the portal and, and they played a little bit here and there. I think you have to get a guy that can play now. He has to be better than what you've got on the roster. I, I just don't see our need for there to be a rush for it. And uh, I don't think we'll know something. We may know something tomorrow. I don't know. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. I guess what I'm saying, if we don't find out till midsummer that we picked up, you know, transfer portal guy in the secondary, I'm all for getting somebody with experience back there because, as we've seen, you got to put up points and you got to make at least one stop. And we yeah. had two guys back there last year that are really, really good, and the best wide receivers took them to task. You know, they they wore them out. So we we got to have help there. I don't think the answer is completely on the roster we you know we obviously have a good roster but we have got to get experienced help back there out of the portal in my opinion we bet you both as far as the hire he fits the mold of what kirby wants he's young he's going to be energetic and he's going to be relentless on the trail um this this hire reminds me a lot of trey scott relatively unknown as in the sec circles someone that will probably develop under kirby and like Chase said, it's Kirby. This is Kirby's baby. The secondary is Kirby's baby. And if Kirby trusts him, then I've got no complaints. I mean, we were both kind of taken by surprise when he hired Charlton Warren. And, you know, Charlton Warren's now the defensive coordinator in Indiana. So I will always trust Kirby with, with hires on the defensive side. Uh, really the only bad hire, I, hire I've ever had a complaint with is Colby. So other than that, yeah, I, I will trust that nine times out of 10. As far as the portal, I don't think we're going to see anything until after spring. I think we're going to go into the spring with what we have. If I had to pick a starting five right now, I think you're going to see Ringo and probably Nylon Green as your starting corners and either Brinny or Kimber at the star and Smith and um, Scene at safety. And you're probably going to see who leaves from other teams after spring ball because there's going to be incoming freshmen that have come in and overtake people that were starters last year that happens every year and people are going to, you know, because they lost their jobs, they're going to want to go play somewhere else. So there's going to be people that's played last year that are talented, that are going to lose their jobs and they're going to want to go play somewhere else. That's where Kirby's going to come in and probably go get somebody. I I don't know who it is, but I would not be surprised if we pick up somebody else, but he's not going to go waste a scholarship for a counter for the 2022 class, which we are killing right now for someone who's not going to start this year. He's not going to waste that spot. So I don't think that if there's not somebody that's going to come in to start, he's not going to, he's not going to take. It. So I think my feelings are very clear on the coaching staff. Uh, if head coach Kirby Paul Smart deems that it is the right decision, then I am 147% on board with it. Number one, I've said this so many times. He will not hire somebody who can't recruit. He just won't. That is the end all be all, I think, on his on his hiring board. And I'm good with that. Okay. Um I think also he hires guys who shall we say shares the passion that he has. 
<laughs> um, and <laughs> that's a nice way to put it. Yeah. And, and I'm good with that because I like that about him and I like that let's say change in coaching atmosphere. Um, I mean, that's the personality that I like. So I like that he's bringing guys in like that. You know, I'll also say, I think given Charlton Warren's progression and, and, you know, whether it's Mel Tucker or whether it, you know, there's tons of examples now. It is telling, I think, for a head coach when their assistants keep going other places for bigger jobs, right? And that's a good thing. And boss, you know, we've talked about this a bunch, but that's good for the program and it's good for other guys, other talented guys in the coaching field wanting to come to your school. So, um, you know, man, I, I hope I hope they all go somewhere else and, and blow up. Right. Like you want them all to go be head coaches. And I think sometimes the fan base kind of pisses and moans about that. Like that's a bad thing. But guys, uh, yeah, look I at Alabama. Exactly. I, was, I don't think Saban's had the same staff for like four of the last five national championships. Like, I, it, it's no different than with the players. You just find guys that you know are going to fit what you want to do, and you roll them in, and you develop them, and then they go somewhere else. And I'm good with that, man. Like, I I just – I think You're always going to get fine. elite coaches. Yeah I, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. Like you were saying, the system is fine because you're always going to get an elite coach when you can be a secondary coach and go be a DC right after that. Exactly. You know what I mean? So if yep. you've got extreme coaching turnover, those resumes are going to be elite that start rolling into the, to the butt's mirror uh, because people know what comes after that. They know what comes after Georgia. So, I mean, like you were saying with Saban, they, they – it's not just been three or four coaches. At times, it's been like all but one that they've had yep. to replace, and they win another national title, you know, in the process and all that, and blah, 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 blah. But really, when you get down to it, the, the meat and potatoes of it is that they're filling coaching voids with other elite coaches because they know what comes from being on that Alabama staff. They know what's going to come from being on the Georgia staff. So if we lose – Dan Lanning, and he goes to be a head coach somewhere, we're going to be fine yep. with whoever becomes the next defensive coordinator. The list will be a mile long to choose from. You'll have your pick of the litter. And I think that's just more scar tissue from previous staffs. And you lose Brian Van Gorder, and the defense was never the same after that. And, you know, you lose Bobo, and you replace him with Schottenheimer. And it's like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? We lost our OC. But I have a good buddy of mine that he he probably knows more about Georgia football than than I've forgotten, or he's forgotten more than I know. Whatever the saying is, but he was a manager back uh, when Kirby played, and he always says, "Think players, not plays." Yeah, and and that's kind of the same thing here. Like whoever is coaching the defense, they are going to have a roster littered with you know pretty much NFL talent. Yep. It's going to be fine. Uh, that's my message to the the fan base that gets really really upset about coaches leaving or you know going to do their own thing. It just it's good for Georgia in a way because it shows these other coaches if you've got aspirations to be a head coach, come here and coach our offensive line. You'll get an SEC head coaching job. Come here and coach our defensive backs. You can you can go be a Big Ten defensive coordinator in a couple of years. It's it's a positive reflection of Georgia when that happens. Yeah, man. I mean, look as long as the guy sitting in the head coaching office is the same. I feel real good about it, boys. So, like, that's that's not going to change for me. I mean, I, 
I think talent attracts talent. And look, he's talent. So there's always going to be people that want to come be in that orbit and learn and grow. So I will never be nervous about a coaching hire or somebody coming in. From the roster perspective, I don't know what they're going to do. But I will say this. If I could put pictures on this conversation that we're having, I would put eyeball emojis everywhere for Keely Ringo yeah. the last couple of weeks. Like, dude has been putting up times with Aaron Smith. Like, come on now. Like, that is elite speed, world-class track speed. And oh, man. Yeah. I'm happy to see that, man, because that's, I think that's a big piece of it. And, I mean, obviously, I think, too, especially at that position, because, you know, he's probably going to play the boundary, is there's such a big mental component to it. And from everything that Kirby has said and, and everything you read about the kid, man, he's just locked in and hated being injured and just wants to play and has put in so much work. And so if there's anybody I'm really excited to see April 17th, he's probably the one. I mean, he's the one I really want to get some eyes on just because uh, we saw him uh, – I think he traveled to Columbia. Maybe am I right about that? No, no. I saw him somewhere. Maybe it was at the Peach Bowl. He looked big. Like he's huge. Yeah, surprisingly oh, big. Yes, he's a monster. And um, yeah, I just I think that's kind of getting more in line too. With Kirby is steadily working to get the athletes looking like he wants them, like body type, length, all those things, and. Uh, I think the closer that they get to that, the easier time they're going to have. Because I mean, I agree with y'all. Look, my big thing from 2020 was there was all the talk about the quarterback and the offense, and I'm not trying to discount any of those things, okay? But the story of 2020 for me was two biggest games of the year, defense gives up 40-plus points. I mean, that's the end-all, be-all for me. That That is that is the 2020 season in a nutshell if we're given a one-sentence on it. Defense did not show up in the two biggest games of the year. Period. And let's Hard not stop. let's not forget in those two games, uh, Georgia was leading in both of those games. Yeah, and the defense could not put the clamps down when they needed to. No, absolutely it's just not. a different. It's just a different game. And I, you know, we were we were missing some guys. Fine, whatever. Uh, we couldn't get in a shootout with them. Uh, but Alabama, we were leading until like three thirty left in the third quarter. It wasn't just that we were leading at halftime. We were leading almost all the way through the third quarter. And didn't have the firepower. Couldn't get a stop when we needed it. Uh, even when we were playing incredible defense, the defense isn't what is going to take you to the next level right now in college football. The narrative on that, the narrative on that game has really gotten spun out of control because of what the final margin was. But if you watch that football game, nobody in the country gave them a better game than George did. Absent. With Waddle. Yeah, with Waddle. Exactly. And absent, man, I mean, they missed some stuff. You know, Stetson, that was the first game he looked rattled, and I think that's where he started to kind of unravel mentally. Yeah, I agree. Because they they missed some stuff that was there offensively, and that game easily could have come down to the last possession. Um, But, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. But I guess I'm saying that to say that offensively, the offense wore the brunt of things, but the defense was supposed to be what the team was hanging its hat on, and everybody knew that in July. And it's like that was never talked about when the defense didn't play well. It was, oh, well, the offense couldn't do this, couldn't do that. Well, yeah. hey, hey, look, the, the offense 
doesn't play in pass coverage. So right. I, I just I never liked that. I, I thought there was a lot of incongruence in the standards for the two units. And look, man, it's the quarterback, so I get all that, blah, blah, blah. But the fact of the matter is the defense had played like it was supposed to. They scored enough points in both the games they lost to win the football game. So I'll just leave that at that. Speaking of the quarterback, scale of one to ten, how surprised were the two of you when you heard Gunnar Stockton's decision to commit to University of Georgia? I would say for me, I would say maybe like a uh, like a seven and a half. Like I was pretty surprised because I thought, oh, well, things are falling apart in Columbia. He's going to go to Auburn with Bobo, and he's going to be a thorn in our side. Like I don't know much about Brian Harson, but I feel like Gunnar Stockton would be perfect for that kind of offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just a guy that looks like somebody that would be a thorn in my side for four years. And he still may be, you know, he, he may be. Um, <laughs> but for now, he's not. He's he's with the good guys. And he says he's going to graduate from Georgia. So we'll see. But watching him against Brian uh, or uh, Brock Vandergriff, um in that high school game this season, it looked like it was Georgia versus South Carolina at the time. And then, you know, when things started unraveling there, I felt like looks like Georgia versus Auburn. Like he just looks like it's going to be him and Brock for the next three or four years in college football. So when he committed to Georgia, it's like, okay, it's surprising. But at the same time, you're like, maybe this kid isn't afraid of anything, you know, maybe, maybe he just doesn't care. And, and, we all are scarred by the Fields and Fromm deal, but I think this one's a little bit different because there's not an there's not going to be an incumbent quarterback unless JT Daniels returns for you know some reason, but there likely won't be an incumbent quarterback. It's going to be wide open between Beck, uh, between Brock and Gunnar Stockton. May the best man win. Obviously, yeah. none of us. I, I think I speak for you two. None of us expect the quarterback room to have all three of them on the roster by the time their careers are over. Like somebody's leaving. Yeah. Um, but if Gunnar Stockton beats out those two guys, he's a dude. If Brock yep. beats out those two guys, he's a dude. If Bet beats out those two guys, he's a dude. So yep. if we're in good shape with the quarterback, and I kind of think that maybe, you know, maybe Mac Jones and Kyle Trask maybe change the narrative a little bit on the quarterback transfer thing. Like, if you just wait, you can play, and you can end up in New York City. If yeah. you if you just wait on your chance. So you know if things shake out right. Um, I think I did the math earlier today or the other day. I think we're set through like what twenty twenty four or twenty five at the quarterback position. If things shake out the way we would want them to, and you know if Gunner only gets one year or two years to play, so be it. I mean. Best case scenario, you were going to play freshman, sophomore, and junior year, um, and then probably go. So for me, I was deprived, but at the same time, it made me realize this guy—he's a stud. Like he is not scared of competition. And if he says he's committed to graduating from Georgia, then that is great news for us because he's either beating out one of those other two guys and going to you know ball out, or we're set for a really long time. So either way, it seems like good news. It is good news. It is good news. But I, I say it seems like good news because he's not at a rival school yet. Right. What about you, boss? My surprise was uh, 37. I, I was bored <laughs> when it came through. 
I, I don't know what my text was to you because it happened a few weeks ago. I mean, you texted me. I had no idea that it happened yet because I was busy at work. But I just, I thought. I, th- I think sure. I think it was along the lines of, what the hell? Yeah, something along those lines. I mean, it was probably a little bit more colorful than that. <laughs> I, I, it, it was I in felt, a good way. Yeah, in a good way. I thought for sure he was going to Auburn and following Bobo. I mean, it had nothing to do with Harson. I, I could care less about the Harson. I just thought that he was going to go follow Bobo. Yeah. And I'm ecstatic that he's not because, uh, like she said, I felt that he would be a thorn in our side for four years, much more than Nix is. I mean, he is super talented. I'm ecstatic that he's going to be in Athens. And I firmly believe that he's going to graduate from Georgia. Uh, he does not like the recruiting process. He does not like to be asked about it. That's why when he committed to South Carolina, he basically just stopped talking to people about it. When people would ask him about it, he's like, I'm committed to South Carolina. It was just, that's it. There was no more discussion about it. He would, when coach would call him, you know, talk about it, he was committed to South Carolina. You know, he just stuck with it. And if Champ wasn't fired, he'd still be committed to South Carolina. I mean, let's be realistic. It's not like that, that was going to change. So, to have another alpha quarterback for our 22 class already in the fold is going to this early in, in the class is going to just help that much more bringing people in, especially with the extension of the dead period. The fact that kids can't come for official visits, the fact that they can't meet the coaches face to face, having another kid in Georgia that can come on campus like Brock did last year and meet kids is just that much more important for the class coming forward, going forward. Yeah, so I, I was kind of where Chase was with it. I I thought there was a shot that he would come. I was very surprised that A, he announced as quickly as he did, and B, announced so effusively for Georgia. I mean, there was no yeah. give in that announcement. It was, I'm going to Georgia and I will graduate from Georgia. Yeah. Um, and he just doesn't strike me as the type of kid that would just say that some type of media game. Like I, he just does, that doesn't seem like who he is. Right. And, um, to your point, Chase, I, I do think some of his language and some of the way he carries himself is reminiscent of Jake Fromm from the perspective of he doesn't really care who's there. I, I really believe that. I don't think he cares because I think mm-hmm. he thinks he is the best in whatever room he walks into. And boy, I love that kind of energy. I mean, that's just a good thing. And there still and is I, a year between him and Brock, so right, you know that that's well, and that's another that's another. I don't know. Plus, if that's man, a, I think we learned this year. It's never a bad thing to have multiple talented kids that are ready to play, right? For um, sure. Absolutely. I mean, we want as much talent at that position as possible, and you want as I think many kids pushing themselves as possible. I mean, are you telling me that didn't help Jalen and Tua and Mac, all three of them competing against each other every day? I mean, I, I think that's the thing that's gotten lost in this whole transfer world is kids just want it given to them. And look, man, everything that we all do in life, whether we're, you know, athletes or you're in the professional world, look, man, you got to work for it. Like, it's not just going to be given to you on a silver platter. And I think, I think that is the message that's gotten muddled in today's day and age is everybody. It's microwave generation. Everybody wants yeah. hot food in 30 seconds. Well, look, yeah. man, success is a crock pot. Okay. You got to let that thing simmer and you got to, you got to let it roll, let it marinate. 
And kids just don't want to wait. And I think there's opportunity there. And I think, I think the other piece of it is, uh, once again, it certainly speaks to Kirby and what he has built there that the first instinct for this kid when he's not going to South Carolina is, well, I'm going to go back there. Because obviously they're still cultivating the fire even after they've gone somewhere else, right? Like that was part of what he said. You know, they never stopped, you know, staying in contact with me, always made me feel like I was welcome here. I just, man, I, I just think if, and I know we say this a lot, and people probably sick of us hearing it, but <laughs> if you can't objectively look at what is happening in Athens with that program and just feel ecstatic about what the growth chart is looking like over the next five to 10 years, then you're never going to be happy. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Like, I could give you a million dollars and you'd ask why it wasn't a million and one. And yeah. certain people, you just can't make happy. And right. I don't, I don't really have anything for them, but I am as excited as I have ever been as a Georgia football fan. And really as a fan of Georgia athletics in general, because man, I am so happy with that Josh Brooks hire. And I think the energy that he is going to bring to that role and the things that he is going to do from a full circle view of the athletic program. And I think it all works hand in hand, right? Like excellence breeds excellence. And I think it's excellence permeates everywhere baseball program women's basketball men's basketball track all of it right it's it's looking alabama right now exactly exactly right it's good for the program as a whole man and um i don't know i'm just really really excited about the potential over the next three to four years and i'm not one of these people like i know this danny shared an interview on fine bombs gotten a ton of ton of heat about him saying if, if Kirby doesn't win it this year, it's never going to happen. Or if Georgia doesn't win it this year, it's never going to happen. I mean, I think that is the dumbest statement on the face guard. No. Like, it, it, at some point, it, I mean, let's call a spade a spade. At some point, Saban is retiring or dying. And yeah. who, who better to step in, Georgia or Clemson? And if Dabo goes to you know Alabama, that puts probably Clemson out of the picture. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, this is a conversation for another day, but I don't think Dabo would have the same success in Tuscaloosa as he does in Clemson. I just think it's a different beast in Tuscaloosa. Like you can't be that all shucks little old Clemson and, and have the program guys and the white collar or the blue collar, you know, middle linebacker and stuff like that in Tuscaloosa. It doesn't work. Like you think well, about everybody that's won with Alabama has been pretty much a, a stone cold dude that's the coach um, well hold up too i want to i want to build off that because i agree with that but i i agree with it for a different reason can we can we just stop dancing around this because this never gets talked about nationally boys w- would y'all not want to play in the acc in the regular season i mean it, it's it's a guarantee you're going to play off right like right. who are they playing in that conference right now nobody not even Miami and FSU, really. You know, they like stink. Literally, yeah. nobody. Yeah, nobody. They're favored they by got... seventeen to seventeen plus every game. Exactly, and hit it easily. And look, man, I'm not saying that uh, Georgia is walking through murderers row in the SEC East, but number one, they got to play Florida, who's better than anybody in the ACC except Clemson. Okay, and if they get through that, they have to go to Atlanta and play either. Alabama or LSU or every once in a while Auburn when they catch lightning in a bottle. 
who again yeah. are all three better than anybody in the ACC except right. Clemson. And that's funny. Like our measuring stick is Alabama, and nobody else's is. Yeah, like exactly. that's why Georgia. I mean, they're one of the top three or four programs in the country right now. There's no doubt about it. But it's measured against Alabama, you know. And, and to Clemson's credit, when they played Alabama, they've beat them. But you'll never convince me that their path isn't easier. And when they get mm-hmm. there, they're in, they're fresher. Mm-hmm. You know, there that makes a difference when you're pulling your starters midway through the third quarter almost every week. By the time you get to playoffs, you're you're fresh. I mean, Tua could barely walk when they played Clemson in the national championship a few years ago because of what we did to him in the SEC championship game. Right. You well, know, so they, that game's a great point. Maybe maybe DeAndre Walker's not busted up that game, right? Right. If, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I I think that's completely valid, and I think that's what gets lost in the narrative about the greater conversation about Georgia is because people always bitch about this when they write in to Emerson or Stuart Mandel or whoever, and they say, "Why is Georgia always mentioned as one of the elite programs or one of the top four or five programs?" They haven't won a national championship since 1980. So, yeah, well, yeah, okay, that's that's a fact. Like nobody's debating that. But they also played a national championship in 17. And what have they done since 17 to make you think they're on a the downturn? Right. <laughs> so, like, yeah. yes, they are one of the elite programs in the country. I mean, and I'm not just saying that as a homer. That's just that's just a fact. Like, if they're not, not, who is? Exactly. Is it just Alabama and Clemson? I mean, right. Ohio State exactly. got one in what fourteen? Okay, yeah. so you want to take those three and then just say, and after that, there's a major gap. Well, no. I mean, if you want to play that card, look at our game versus Alabama, and look at Ohio State's game versus Alabama. Precisely. And we didn't have our guy at QB. Yeah, absolutely. And we played that, him with a one hundred percent waddle, like fifty yeah. percent waddle was out there making plays on Ohio State in Tuscaloosa. Right in Tuscaloosa. It's just you know it. it we're always going to hear that stuff, and it drives us nuts. And I try to let it roll off my back, but we're always going to hear it until we do it. I mean, it's, yeah. And, and well, that's nobody wants it more than Kirby Paul Smart. I mean, right. we can believe that. Like nobody wants it more than him, and nobody wants multiple like him. Yeah. So again, if if he never beats Saban, so be it. I want him to. I think we need to. But if he never does, so what? At the end of the day. If he's got three or four national titles, they're not going to have asterisks and say, "But he didn't play Saban this year." Yep. I don't you know, care what about, about what about everybody that came before Saban and didn't have to play Saban? Are we just going to start, you know, saying, "But they didn't play Saban either"? I, I've gotten to the point now where I want us to beat Alabama. Believe me, I want us to beat Saban. I, hell, I would love it if we beat Saban for all the marbles. Yeah. But if we don't, okay, okay, whatever. We are in a great position, if nothing else to take over once he leaves. And it's, I mean, nothing's going to change until he does leave. I mean, that's, in my opinion, a cold, hard fact. Um, But I've just come to the point where I'm okay if we never beat Saban because at the end of the day, if, like I said, if we have two, three, four, five national titles, they're not going to have parentheses next to them, did not play Saban this year. Who cares? Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, selfishly, because of all the demons that I have with it. Sure. Yeah. I, I want I want it to happen to exercise that in some way, shape, or form. But to your point, I don't care who they play. I don't care who they beat. 
Yeah. I don't care if we national beat, championship. Yeah. I don't care if we beat Texas Christian for the national championship and people say, <laughs> yeah, but you played TCU and, and you got to play, uh, Washington State in the Rose Bowl. So what? Care. Okay. I'll have I don't care. so many t-shirts and stickers and I mean, the most absurd stuff that says national champions on it. You know, probably I, two or three of each. I don't care. <laughs> I might wear something that says national champion on it every day of the calendar year that follows. Yeah. Hey, my <laughs> uncle is a huge Alabama guy, and every time I see him, he's got on the most previous national championship T-shirt. Like, he doesn't even wear the one that says 2015 national champions. It is the most current year, and it's, you know, four different colors of shirt. Like, that's, world. That's, 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 that's the world I'm trying to live in. Damn right. And a few weeks ago when I was home, we were all together and uh, uh, he was leaving and it was, it, was, it was so cold outside and he was putting his jacket on. He's like, you want to get one more look at it real quick before I put my jacket on? I was like, what, I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, my newest national championship shirt. And I was like, oh, good one. <laughs> Hadn't seen that one yet, literally. But it was, it was 2020 national champions and 2020 national champions hat. There was, I mean, he probably has already given away the 2017 stuff. That's old news. Oh, I love that's, that. That's that's the world I'm trying to live in as a college football fan. Hell yes. I, I love it for them. It's just the expectation. Like, and if they don't win it, it's it was a disappointment. No, it was a bad year. We lost one. <laughs> Man, I, I, I went to a uh I went to the Alabama LSU game in 2013 uh with some buddies of mine. The two buddies are big Alabama guys. Dad was a donor, the wife of one of my buddies, Hugh Grad, and they met at an Alabama LSU game in 2009, which I was there for, and I actually married them. So we kind of did this, like, you know, four-year reunion kind of thing, and we went to the Alabama-LSU game. This is when Mettenberger's at LSU, um, Odo Beckham's at LSU, Landry's at yeah. LSU. Like, I mean, there's some there's some NFL talent out on that field. And Alabama won by, like, you know, I think it was, like, 37 to 14 or something like that. And um, after the game, it was like uh, Georgia had just beaten Vanderbilt. It was just, you know, ho-hum, leaving the stadium, going to get something to eat or walking around, you know, just there was no, like, cheering in the tunnels on the way down. There was there was no celebration whatsoever. And at that moment, I thought, I envy their success, but I don't ever want to get here where I am not celebrating beating that team because that's the year that we beat LSU yeah. for, like, a minute to go in the game. And it was, you know, a lot of people say that's the most exciting game at Sanford Stadium. Yeah. You know, if not, it's the most exciting one they saw. And so, like, you go from that feeling six weeks prior to see an Alabama leave the field, like, whatever. I mean, it doesn't really matter until we get to the to the national championship. And I just, I just, you know, I thought I don't want to ever get there. And now those two buddies, like, they may make one game a year. They're just like, why do I want to go to the Mississippi State game? We're going to win sixty-two to seven. You know, right? I don't ever want to get there. And I don't think that I will, but it's it's just it's funny how you know successful you know hungry they are for national championships. If you don't get one, it's a failure. But like they don't even care about the games until it's the national title game, and that I don't know that that bothers me. That's boring. Football. That sounds boring. Exactly. Exactly. Like, are you do you even watch games anymore? You know, it. I don't know. I don't want to get to that point, but I I do want to taste some of that. All right, so I've got one more query for you boys tonight, a little overtime segment here. Topic number six, and I pretexted this with y'all because this brain has had my brain scrambled eggs for the last week. But 
I want to know in in staying with our theme of six, you got six songs for the rest of your life. What are those six songs, boss? You want to start? Damn, I want to hear your. I want to hear your list. I struggled with this, and to the point where I have changed it while we've been doing this. So I love it. This was, this was my goal. I'm right. everyone awesome. else's brain was in a pretzel. That was too. a good question. Yeah, that's a good question. So, first one, I told you earlier in the week that I had two that were set. So, the two, I'll go with the two that were set. One, my wife and I song by Lady A, When You Got a Good Thing. That's the easiest one for me. My favorite song by my favorite band, Guns N' Roses, Rocket Queen. Those two easy ones. My favorite song of all time is Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, but not Leonard Cohen's version. So I, for some reason, like the most depressing version of the song by Jeff Buckley. So <laughs> that's got to be on there because it reminds me of high school football. Uh, My Hero by Foo Fighters has got to be on there. Like um, pretty much every Friday night, you know, I think because it was in Varsity Blues, but for every Friday night for... Four years that song played uh, in our locker room, so definitely has to be on there. Uh, and the last two have just gone back and forth for this entire episode. So I'm gonna go with. Um, I love it. He's still he's still yeah, still, with still, it right yeah now. I still am. Yeah. So I was raised Catholic, and hard rock is what I go with. So I'm a big fan of a Christian rock band called Skillet. Go with my favorite song by them, Awaken Alive. And my favorite vocalist of all time is Chris Cornell. I will pick, picking a song by him is Damn Near Impossible. I will go with Sunflower by Chris Cornell. Uh, that is an excellent list. I, I laughed. At that is a solid list. Because I texted <laughs> yeah. my oldest brother, Frank, what his answers would be. And he gave some of these answers with certain caveats. And so I'm very excited for him to hear this list. Just to be like, see, the two of you are like mental mirrors in a lot of ways. So <laughs> it's a good list. Very good list. He actually texted me and said, "My, if I was picking a song that Axl Rose sang, Rocket Queen was the one he had picked. So, yeah. All right, Chase, I'm ready to hear it. Let me, let me, let me pretext this with, I texted Chase. This. I said, I just want to give you some heads up that we're going to do six songs for the rest of your life. And pretty much instantaneously, he takes me back and says, Juicy, six times. And I said, did we just <laughs> yeah. become best friends? And then I sang the stepbrother's yep. gift that said, yup, because <laughs> that's about as good an answer as you can give to me. So I'm, I'm very excited to hear the list. So let's hear it, brother. So for me, I thought, you know, I, I'm thinking six moments like if i've got to hear six songs for the rest of my life i'm not sure it's necessarily my favorite songs in the world but it's six moments that i want to be in if i'm listening to music if i'm only going to hear six songs the rest of my life so oh, for guess. me it was it was six moments and they're not necessarily my favorite songs of all time um but number one is definitely juicy notorious big because that song is me and my boys in nashville that's the you know the day party windows down that's the song that when it comes on everybody knows all the words we all we at, at our wedding we ended up gravitating in like one circle and we were just we we're singing every word and so that song is just i mean it's it's special to me just because of the memories i have 
with some of my best friends, um, you know, yelling that out. Number two would be Rosa Parks by Outkast. Oh, that's a uh, good one. I that's just, a good one. That anytime I hear that song, not only have I been known to karaoke it in, in, in an Uber or you know at a party <laughs> or something like that, it's just that song is an all timer for me. That would be on my list if it was the favorite songs of all time. Um, so Rosa Parks by Outkast is number two. Number three is Queen of My Double Wide Trailer by Sandy Kershaw. Because that to me is Nashville. That's going to Paradise Park, our favorite little honky tonk on Broadway. It's it's the South. It's onion rings and watching TV. It's you know it, it is the definition of just good old '90s country to me, which is my favorite country genre by far. Yeah, um, is '90s country. Um, number four would be Can't Help Falling in Love by Elvis Presley, which is what my wife walked down the aisle to. Um, and it's her ringtone on the phone. Not necessarily our song, so to speak, but you know, when I hear that, I immediately think of those church doors opening and just the butterflies and the lovey dovey mushy stuff. So that was definitely on there. And plus it's Elvis, which, you know, he's the king. Five would be These Boots, the live version by Eric Church. Um, and it has to be the live version because I was at the concert where he recorded his live album. It was at the Tiburi oh, that's cool in Chattanooga. And he did it on a Monday and a Tuesday night. But most of the I went to the Tuesday night show and most of the album ended up being cut from the Tuesday show because you can hear him reference, you know, after songs and being like, what a Tuesday night this is in Chattanooga. You know, so a lot of those songs were from um, that live concert that I was at. And uh, he just, he, it was the best concert I've ever been to. He rocked it that night. Um, so these boots, the live version by Eric Church, that immediately takes me to a, a wonderful place in time. And then the last one, man, I had about 13 songs that I was scribbling through, right? I mean, before I even got connected on this. Oh, I love and, uh, it. I had to go with an old tailgate classic, an old game day classic, and it's Let the Big Dog Eat by Clisby Clark. You know, had a piece of chicken, had a little drink, looked at all the girls, giving one or two a wink. You know, that just, <laughs> that to me is like my childhood game day. Uh, we had that on a red cassette, um, and, and it was must hear on the way to games, you know, before XM and Bluetooth and all that. You had the cassette tapes. And uh, so that reminds me of game day. So I've got. A song for hanging out with my boys. I've got, you know, an old rap classic from early high school days. I've got the 90s country, uh, the bride walking down the aisle, uh, live concert, best concert I've ever been to. And then uh, the start of a wonderful Saturday getting ready to watch the dogs play. So for me, it was it was six moments that I want to be in if those are the only six songs I can ever listen to. So first off, A plus list. And. It's bananas. That's how you like set up the list at six memories. Cause like I told you guys, I was texting with my brother about this and, uh, I told him, I said, you know, for me, music is, I just associate it with memories. Like I have memories that are just attached to music. And so, and I said too, and this is true. Boss can attest this. I got a real good memory. So it's real hard for me to just hit six. <laughs> yeah. And so this exercise was extremely difficult. And mine is same as yours. I had a couple caveats in my list. So again, this is not some like writers, critics lists or some, some, you know, one of these things. Okay. This is like 
things that are meaningful to me individually and yeah. probably have no meaning to somebody else. Right. Right. And the other piece of it is I limited myself to one song per artist. Cause let's just be honest here, boys. I could have six that are just crystal Wallace. So, um, I had to really limit myself on that piece, <laughs> but it made the exercise much more difficult because I'm thinking about this, like in a realist scenario where if I only pick one, Biggie song, that means I never hear any of the other ones ever again, which is depressing. So, yeah. anyways, my list in no particular order, and I'll give you a little backstory on each of them, but my first one, and this is the first one I thought of, and this did not change from the time I thought of this question, and this actually prompted me to think of this question, but it's Walking in Memphis by Mark Cohn. Um, I could listen to that song 7,000 times in a row, and it would never get old. First off, if I could sing like Mark Cohn, I would just sing all the time. I wouldn't even talk to y'all. I would just speak to you in, in song. That's the only way I would, would do it. That'd be how I communicated. Uh, so I love that. Um, fantastic song. And it's pretty much on every... Oh, so this is something Chase should know about me. Boss knows this. Uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the year of our Lord, 2021... I still make a mix CD for every single road trip that I go Dude, on. You, you, you got to stop there because I'm at, I started, I started doing, I called it platinum and I started doing platinum when I was in ninth grade and I'm up to platinum 38 now on Spotify. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. So yeah. So and walking in Memphis is on pretty much every road trip CD I've ever made. So that's on there. Uh, Another song is, and this was real difficult because it was one or the other, but uh, Regulate by Warren G and Nate Oh, great song. And that goes back to when I was like seventh and eighth grade, my brother and I used to go to our older brother's house and he was like in his 20s and he used to have these house parties and he'd let us like hang out. And we used to sing Regulate on repeat, okay? Well, so then when I was like a junior in (laughs) high school, we had this male beauty pageant called Mr. AHS. Not a beauty pageant, but like a, you know, like a male, whatever. You had to sing a song and, and do a talent and all this kind of crap. Well, I Sounds sang like a beauty with pageant. A, yeah, yeah, it was the same kind of thing. Call it what it is. <laughs> so I sang with my buddy Regulate by Warren G and Nate Dog, And I wore a pair of purple slacks and a wife beater and these brown and white spectator shoes. And let me just tell you, boys, I looked electric. Okay, electric. I will find a copy of the picture and I will post it because that's incredible. The spectators by themselves, and I may or may not have worn a People's Champ Brahma Bull necklace (laughs) with the getup. So, yeah, you have to find that. I would love to see that. That's incredible. I felt like that had to be on the list. Um, I I chose. I had to have Jay Z on my list. It was very difficult for me to choose a song. But uh, I have listened to the Numb Encore link up with Linkin Park probably a gajillion times. Yeah. So I figured if I had to listen to something for the rest of my life, that was the one. So I'm going to go with that one. And have y'all ever heard the song What Country Is by Luke Bryan? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, love yeah. that that's song. One. That reminds me of my grandparents, man. I love that song. That song just makes me feel right. Like That's a good. That's me, a really good one, yeah. I love that song. Um, it's. I, I don't think he ever released it as a single. I don't think it's something he plays at his concerts. No, for it me, was like it's, really it's, early, early stuff. Yeah, and it's his best song for me, and it's not close. Like, yeah. love that song. And 
the memory from that is I was working for the Redskins in PR and two of my buddies that I was working with, we all drove from DC to Miami to work Pro Bowl and Super Bowl. It was the first year the Pro Bowl uh, was the week before the Super Bowl and they were in the same city. So they were having Snowmageddon. Do y'all remember this? Snowmageddon in DC where there was like just feet of snow. Like they were canceling everything. Like even hospitals were closing. It was, it was horrendous. What year was, it was this? 20, uh, 2010. It was 2006, 2010, 2010 Super Bowl. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah. This is cold Saints Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. So we okay. drive down yeah. and, yep. uh, we must've played this song 445 times. <laughs> and I do not hear this song, but I don't think about those two weeks that we spent down there and everything. And I don't know, man, it's uh, once again, it's on every single road trip mixed video that I make. Yeah. So that's, that's on my list. So I also chose Juicy. I will tell you, I like wrung my hands about it. I almost chose Party and Bullshit in the USA. So this DJ took Biggie's first ever single, which was Party and Bullshit, and he mashed it with Miley Cyrus's Party in the USA. And it is a banger. Absolute banger. Absolutely. Plus the, the it's verses on my of July are- playlist every year. Oh, it's excellent. I mean, it's just excellent. And uh, so I almost took that one. Um, but I just feel like of all his songs, Juicy is just, you can't hear that song and not feel good after it's over with. Like, you just can't. And I know, man. Can, it's the story. It's it's that story. Oh, it's it's phenomenal. And I mean, look, that that inherently means I never get to hear the what. I never get to hear Flavor in Your Ear remix. I never get to hear Sky's the Limit. I never get to hear Notorious Thugs. I never get to hear Victory, which was my walk-up song in college. Oh, all that, man. All, yes. all, all that being said, I'm picking Juicy. Also, I'm going to give you all a little education. Do you all know why? Oh. Y'all know why Christopher Wallace refers to himself in almost every single song as Frank White, the black Frank White. Do you all know who Frank White is? I have never known that. All right. I feel like I looked it up a long time ago and I don't know. All right. There's this movie from like 89 or 90 called The King of New York. Christopher Walken is the lead character. Christopher Walken plays a drug kingpin named Frank White. Excellent movie. You should, this is my homework for y'all. Y'all need to both watch it this weekend. I want a movie report next week. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Lawrence Fishburne's in it. Uh, Wesley Snipes is in it. Steve Buscemi's in it. Uh, Giancarlo uh, Esposito's in it from um, Breaking Bad. Uh, dude, ton of, ton of yeah. great actors. Okay, um, yeah. So and it's like old New York, like pre Rudy New York when they were still you know running hookers through Times Square, like bad New York. Yeah, um, dirty, dirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, Frank White. That's why Biggie called him so that King of New York. So, anyways, okay. That's uh, that's my that's my history lesson on Biggie tonight. So y'all take that where you want to take it. And then my last I'm taking song, it to March 1st and watching that documentary. you damn right. I'm on a countdown for that. You know, is that, isn't it March 1st? Darn right it is. And it, somebody said, uh, I think, okay. I think um, I'd seen on Twitter something. I think Malik tweeted about it, Malik Herring. And he said, this better be like two hours. And I tweeted at him. I said, for me, it needs to be like the last dance. I need 10 <laughs> parts. <laughs> what the whole thing. Yes. <laughs> Give me yeah. all the footage. So, all right. My last song is. Uh, Ride Through the Country by Colt Ford. And I'll tell you why. There's a lot of great lines in that song. My favorite line in the song is, 
most country folks sang, but I couldn't, so I'm rapping. And boy, do I identify with that. Like, I love music. <laughs> I love, I love music, and I would love to be able to sing. It's just not in my spiritual gift, but I can rap. So I feel yeah, that oh, yeah. on a visceral level. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's my list, awesome. boys. That's what I got. Those are good lists, man. What are what are your two honorable mentions that you like really were like they almost made the list for you? Because I know there were some extras on there. For me, it was um, Genuine Pony. Oh, yeah. I'm all right. I'm yeah. here for that. You hear that song and it is just like whatever was going on is not going on anymore. And I'm ready <laughs> to go. I'm ready to get out of town and go party. Um, also what I took the garter off to at our wedding, but you know, it's not that that song is, um, sexual in nature to me. It is, it is just a club song. Like oh, yeah. there's a place here called in Nashville and it's a big karaoke bar and you know, everybody sings, you know, good, bad, whatever. But between songs, they usually play like a rap song. And when that one comes on in between songs, that place goes from just like a little mingling place, you know, with the patio and a deck to listen to people sing to an absolute spectacle when that one comes on. And like, I don't know, since I was in sixth grade, having no clue what the song was even about, just the the way that song hits and just the, the bass and all that. I mean, it just puts me in a good mood. So that one, Genuine was an honorable mention. And, um, Another one for me was a double Dutch bus by Frankie Smith, I believe is his name. And that's just, I mean, my parents had it on a cassette with a fantastic voyage, the original fantastic voyage. And we yeah. get, you know, an hour or so from the beach and they would play that. And it just meant, Oh my gosh, we're almost there. Like double Dutch bus is on. And uh, <laughs> I played it for my wife who I, I played it for before a couple of times. And she was just looking at me like I had, four eyeballs like what is this like what what is this and i'm like this is double dutch bus like this is good stuff from the 80s come on now um so those are my two honorable mentions along with you know like nine others but those were the two that were like you know when you had a myspace page like i searched for days trying to find double dutch bus to be my profile song and could never find it but uh <laughs> that's kind of how i kind of how i uh, uh, eliminated those two was like man or, or made those to the honorable mention. I was like, what would I've had as MySpace song? Like, that's when you know, like, that's your song. So those were my two, two of like nine honorable mentions. Those I like the first that. two out. What about you, Bob? My first one out was actually Notorious Thugs. So um, that was, uh, that's one, the one that I was really debating on putting in there. So that I threw out right at the last second. And the one that reminds me of my grandfather, American Pie by Don McLean. He used to listen to it. Every single time I rode him, we had a 1967 GTO and he had it on a cassette. Every single time, every Saturday, we used to go to flea markets and go buy, I, he used to go buy used books and I would go buy sports cards or whatever. And he used to play that, that, that cassette, but that was the main song he would listen to every Saturday from when I was growing up. That's awesome. So that's what, uh, that's what this exercise is about to me is those moments that like take you back in time. So. If you're going to have to listen to six songs the rest of your life, like let's get in those moments as well. I'm pretty sure. Didn't he write that song about, well, one of the motivations for the song was plane crash that killed Richie Valens and Big Bopper and uh, Buddy, Holly. Buddy Holly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one, man. That's a real good one. All right. I'm going to hit y'all out of left field with one of mine. And this is just one of them songs where like, 
I could hear it, um, like in the status scenario you could ever imagine. And I'd probably get up and bust a move. And that's, uh, Newark's finest, Whitney Houston. I want to dance with somebody. Oh, yeah. I that's mean, a good one. <laughs> just an electric jam. And I, I can mean, actually see you busting the move with that, actually. I you damn right you one. can. You damn right you can. <laughs> and I mean, I could do some serious car dance with that song. So, I mean, that, that is road trip worthy for sure. Another one, you know, I was going to listen. I got to have some kind of like 80s rock song on this list. And I love me some poison. And there's a poison song called Something to Believe in that I used to listen to on a loop. I had this prelude in high school and college, little, you know, two door stick shift prelude. And I used to just pump that and just ride. And so I think that yeah. one could have made the list just because Brett Michaels, man, he sang a phone book. I'd be all right with it. So that's yeah, probably funny. On my list. Like, you know, thinking back, like one of my favorite all time bands is Leonard Skinner. And that, you know, it comes from my dad. Like he loved Leonard Skinner. We always listened to that when I was growing up. And, he just, you know, passed that on to me and my sister. My sister loves it too. And I didn't, I didn't come up with a, a Skinner song at all. If it was, you know, going to be a, six songs I had to listen to the rest of my life. I, I went, I mean, I went and looked at all the albums. Just, am, I, am I missing something here? Like, what am I not thinking of? And like, none of them made that list. They are by far probably my favorite band. The story, yeah. the music, the location, like all of that stuff. And then currently, like, I love Morgan Wallen. And none of his songs made the list. And I mean, guilty pleasure for me is Florida Georgia Line, which I know people want to just, you know, hang me and kill me over that. But I love Florida Georgia Line. It is a guilty pleasure. And I couldn't find one of their songs to be, you know, my final six. So it was interesting to me that like you start thinking about your favorite bands and they didn't, none of them made the cut for me. It was more about specific moments. Um, well, so that's I'm a great, that's a great uh, point. Like I love country music. Like it, it's 90% currently of what I listen to. And like, dude, as a kid, I mean, my parents were listening to like Garth and Tim McGraw and I love Garth and I love Tim right, McGraw. Right. No Garth, no Tim on either one of those, no Alabama on my list. Uh, like, yeah. That's another one. Yeah. Just a lot of stuff that I was, but to your point, I was thinking, I was like, I'm six songs, man. Like it's gotta have some weight of meaning to me because I'm yeah. the one listening to it. Right. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. So that's, I think that's the interesting part about the exercise. I've asked this to like a few different people and everybody's going, damn, six, like forever. And I'm like, yeah. And that means you don't get nothing else. Just in six. All right. It's tough, man. It is. My brother it was fun like though. 10, it was fun. 10 different genres where he was like, I could do six just on this. He goes, I could do six just Elvis songs from the 1960s. <laughs> for, for sure. Yeah. I could do six from Morgan Wallen's, you know, latest album, which obviously he's in hot water right now. And, but, you know, he, he released a double album early January. And I'm like, gosh, I could listen to at least six of these songs just over and over and over. I remember when he came out talking about that. People were like, oh, he's a crazy double album. And people just ate it up. I think because people just want new content right now, right? Yeah. Like people need and, new yeah, content. Been doing it. He was like teasing yeah. people all through quarantine, you know, on TikTok and stuff like that. You know, he would be like, oh, this is one that, you know, we hadn't released yet. And he would play like a minute of it. And people were like, oh, my God, release something. And he was like, fine, I'll do a double album. And then he added like two or three more songs after he released it. So it ended up being like, I don't know, 24, 25 songs, something crazy. And they're 
they're all legitimately good. Like if you're into that era of country, that that style of country, like they're they're all really good. Well, speaking on country music, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't congratulate friend of the program and friend of the brand, Ray Fulcher. Yes. Yes. Getting him a getting him a record deal. How awesome is that? That's awesome, man. He deserves it. He has cut his teeth, as they say. Um, yeah, I'm I'm super happy for him. He is the definition of perseverance. Like that. I mean. To come up to this town, no matter what you're doing, whether it's, you know, music or bartending or healthcare or whatever it is, to come up here and just compete with everything that's here and make it is awesome. And he's been doing it, I think, since like 09. Yeah. And, and you know, he's he's had the door shut on him so many times. And like, I would have just been like, all right, whatever. I, it's not for me. I, I can't do it. But he just kept chipping away and then, you know, got to be a writer and then got hooked up with Luke Combs. And now he's got his record deal. It's just I told him I, I texted him congratulations and, and just told him, man, you're you are a testament of perseverance like you that you're you're very inspiring for, you know, someone like me. That's, we're trying to you know grow our business here, too. And it's, yep. I can I can see the parallels of just, you know, keep I always text with him. Keep chopping. And uh, yeah. So just to keep chopping and, and see how it paid off is is really really inspiring, and I'm so happy for him. Yeah, man he uh, he told us his story, and I'll tell you, uh, we talked to a lot of people this year, and I mean, look, just so many great people associated with the University of Georgia, and so many people that told a lot of great stories. But I thought his was one of the more inspiring, just because of the consistency and the pursuit of that dream, and. He had told a story to us that day about because I had asked him, like, you know, what's it like conceptualizing a dream of that size? And he's like, you know, I think if I'd ever thought of it like that, like if it was, I want to go to National Book Country Music Recording Artist, because I, I honestly don't think it would have happened. He's like, I had to set the goals in like small chunks. Like, I'm going to try to write a song. Yeah. Okay. I wrote a song. Now I'm going to try to write a song and play it at a bar. And so I wrote a song and played it at a bar. He's like, and it was just all these little checkpoints that I was trying to hit just to prove to myself that I could do it. And he's like, you know, you do that long enough and the goals just get bigger almost by themselves. And he's like, till you get to the point yeah. where you're going, well, hey, now I want to try to write a song that everybody knows the words to, right? I don't know. It was a cool way to kind of break down that. So then to see it culminate with this, man, it was just neat. I just, I felt good for him. And yeah, I mean, he yeah, obviously awesome. like, the cool part too is if, if you support the University of Georgia and love Georgia football, there ain't nobody loves it anymore than he does, right? So like, uh, no, he was in it, man. He was he bled it, he did it. Yeah, so I, it was cool, man. Yeah, so he had awesome. Happy for him, and I appreciate y'all indulging the exercise. And I thought that was kind of a a fun rabbit hole to go down. So I great. appreciate those answers. That was. Fun. I think I'm about to, to cut those out. I might make a might have to make a Saturday in Athens playlist off that that's 18 well i guess 17 we, <laughs> yeah. we had one we had one duplicate so yeah i got like nine that uh that almost made the list so you can just add those on there too and you can have a well, double album yeah we'll go side b we, we'll go side b on the road trip yeah. and from. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's funny all right boys well i appreciate it and like we always say go dog sick them go dog sick them go dogs hey george is better now
All right, fellas. Well, I think that's going to be a good one.